Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's pretty bold. When I first saw that video, I was like, well, no way, what, what's up? Are you like that in your life? When you see a challenge, something that could bite your head off, you sneak up behind it and crush its skull in? You identify with that? Okay, all right. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'd like to welcome all the people who intended to go to second service. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for coming and forgetting to set your clocks back. That's all right. You know, this is the one weekend that you can be in two places at the same time. All right, forget it. Moving on. I'm I'm glad you are with us this morning as we continue our series called Bold. Using that scripture, Proverbs 28, 1, I really believe is what God has called us to to act as bold as lions. And we want to kind of unfold that. If you weren't here with us last week, you can grab the podcast online at c2church.com, and, and you'll certainly understand this morning's message. But I want to uh, encourage you to listen to that if you, if you didn't get a chance to. The righteous are as bold as a lion. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be righteous? You ever ask yourself that? I think we kind of have these ideas of what it might mean. I think oftentimes we think of righteousness as not doing the wrong things. We don't, if we don't make mistakes, then we live as we're righteous. I, th- I think in my book that's kind of playing not to lose instead of playing to win. In his, in his book called If, by, uh, Mark Batterson wrote this book. It's a terrific book that has inspired some of the thoughts that I'll share with you today and throughout the weeks. He calls it holiness by subtraction. Well, I didn't do that, and I don't do these things, therefore I am righteous. I am holy. But is that true? Is that, is that what righteousness is? Is simply avoiding wrong behaviors? And that's not how Scripture defines it. In fact, Scripture actually says that there is a sin in, doing, in not doing the right thing. So simply not doing things is not the right definition of righteousness. You know... One of the big holidays just passed last night. I call it free candy night. Anybody celebrate free candy night with me last night? I did. For years as a youth pastor, I would get pushback from parents who said, well, we don't celebrate the devil's night as if I, as a a youth pastor, did. Oh, I totally celebrate the the devil's (laughs) night. We had had been planning a, a... uh, an outreach called Halloween Harvest. This is back in Minnesota. And every, every year we would take the, the opportunity of Halloween when everybody's porch lights are on and the doors are open, we would go and collect food for local food bank. And we, could, we would collect up to 1,500 pounds of food in one night. That's a lot of food. And we would use that night. Now I have parents say, well, I don't want my kids out on the devil's night. And I would say, why in the world would you give the devil a night? Those who are bold as a lion go stomping into the darkness. The night that culture has given over for darkness, we go storming in because we are the light. I think it's bold to see grown men wearing spandex on Halloween as well. That's (laughs) happened in my neighborhood. Perhaps you see that differently, and that's okay, but... The point is righteousness is more about doing something right. Mark Batterson says in in this book, 
that it's going all in with God. Romans 8.31, another verse that we're launching into in this series. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who, who can stand against us? What power is there greater than God Almighty? The Bible uses the word if 1,784 times, and most are conditional conjunctions, meaning if we meet the conditions, God delivers on his promise. That little word taken seriously can add up over time. What if someone could break the four-minute mile? What if someone could invent a light bulb or a computer so small it could fit in your pocket? What if someone could invent a way for humans to travel through the air by flight? Those little what-ifs over time have added up to humanity believing that we can do just about anything. Those little ifs can change the trajectory of your life and the eternity of others. What if people didn't accept the world for what it is and has always been, but what it could be? You see, we like what-if stories, don't we? That's, that's what makes great movies, is those what-if impossible stories. Because it's about impossibilities become impossible. It's about comebacks and underdogs. It's about the no ones that become household names. It's about the David versus Goliath. It's the miracles of medicine and sports and business. What if stories are about world changers and water walkers? And that's what we want to launch into this morning. Matthew chapter 14. If you have your scriptures with you, you can turn them on or open it up. Matthew chapter 14, about halfway through, starting in verse 22. The little subtitle in my Bible says, it calls it Jesus Walks on Water. That's the, that's the subtitle. But somehow, if I was the writer of this story, it would in, be entitled Peter Walks on Water. Because that's what I always think about this story. I always think about Peter in this story and how he participated in this. I'd actually entitle it, Dude, Look at Me. It doesn't have quite the biblical ring to it, does it? But in verse 22, where we pick up the story, it says this. Immediately, now this is immediately after Jesus has just fed uh, the 5,000 men plus women and children. So probably about 15,000 people. He just miraculously fed them. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Go on ahead is sort of this thought. He's going to meet them while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So here's the setup of the story. Jesus tells his disciples to go on ahead of him. He gets them into the boat. It, it doesn't really sound like he gave them options or suggestions. He put them in the boat. You're getting in the boat. You know, it's like putting your kid in, in, their, in their child seat, you know. Children have an amazing way to resist that seat. I don't know what it is. They just stiffen up, and you can't get them in, and you're going to go, you know? That's kind of, I kind of envision this as, as he's emphatically getting them into the boat. No, no, you guys go ahead. I wonder if in, in their hearts they're thinking, you know, last time he did this, we faced a storm, and now he's, he's going to send us without him? Jesus, you should come with us. No, no, you go on ahead. You're good. I'll meet you on the other side. Well, you don't have a boat. Don't worry about it. I got it. And they obeyed. You see, their obedience 
led them right into a storm. Or at the very least, it led them in to resistance, to the very thing Jesus had called them to do. You ever wonder why when God calls you to something, it doesn't just go so easy? And then you start to think, well, did God really call me to this? Because it's really hard right now. So this must not be from God. But what if the very resistance and hardship you're facing is where Jesus wants you and needs you? And that's where the disciples find themselves, buffeted by the winds and the waves. They're not making any progress. They're frustrated. They're stuck. And Jesus wasn't in their boat this time. He wasn't in their boat. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. It's not Minnesota, so the water wasn't frozen, okay? Do you get that? He walks out on the water to them. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Very timely for this time of year, don't you think? It's a ghost. Jesus came in a very unexpected way to them. In in their wildest dreams, did they ever think that Jesus would come out to them walking on the water? Maybe they thought he'd just roll out really fast in a little skiff or something. But he comes walking on the water. He comes out in a a very unexpected way. And like any good-natured Navy-hardened seaman, they shriek in terror. (laughs) They're startled. They're scared. And in this dark moment before the dawn, when they are their coldest and their tiredest, Jesus steps into their moment. And he calls out to them. Pick it up in verse 27. Jesus immediately says to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Look at what Jesus does. He comes to them in a very unexpected way. And he identifies them. First, he he calls out to them courage. Take courage. Take confidence. It is I. You can translate that I am. Hmm. For, For a bunch of Jewish boys, they understood that phrase. Take courage. I am. He's identifying himself as one with Yahweh. And in this moment, Jesus walking to them on the water, in their fear, he cries out to them to take courage. He is. Don't be afraid. I love what Peter does. Lord, if it's you, that little word, if. Lord, if it's you, I wonder What caused that? Was it all the miracles that he'd experienced? Was it all those moments before? Where do you conjure up a crazy idea like this? To to get out of the boat. This isn't a, they're not in a canoe. You understand that, right? This is a big boat. To get out of this boat isn't just, you know, put the ladder out and just kind of take a step down. This is crawl over the side, hang from your fingers and go, yeah, this will work. Lord, if it's you, call to me. Call to me out on the water. And Jesus does that. 
Lord, if it's you. What a bold step. This is that moment that I think the rest of the disciples in the boat years later would think, man, if only I had had the guts, if only I had had the courage, if only, if only, if only. Do you have some if onlys in your life? Man, if only I had done that. If we aren't bold in our life, most of us will have more if-only regrets than dude-look-what-I-did-with-Jesus moments. But Peter, instead of saying if-only, he beats it. He gets out ahead of it and says, what if? Jesus, if that's you, call me like you did when you first called me. Call me out. You know, research shows that we regret our inactions more than we regret our actions. Can you identify with that? I, I know I can. And Peter wouldn't have that if only moment here. He would have that dude look at, what, look at what I did with Jesus moment. And Jesus invites Peter to come. He invites him. You know, Peter never really lacked courage, did he? If you read through the Gospels, he didn't always lack courage. Now, he did lack some forethought. <laughs> and perhaps this is a moment. He was too ignorant to not know better. But perhaps in faith, we should be more ignorant and just believe that God can. Instead of logically thinking out, now, water, I can't, the scientific quotient of the hydrogen and the, you know. Peter wasn't smart enough, Maybe. But he knew that if it was Jesus, it wouldn't matter. If it's you, invite me to come. I I don't want to wait. I want to be with you where you are. Call to me. At your invitation and your invitation only, I will come to you. And so that's what Peter does. When Jesus tells him to come, come to me, Peter. That's the bold step. Jesus, wherever you're at, call to me. And if it's you, I'll come. Tell me to come where you are. You notice that Peter didn't say, Jesus, if it's you, let me walk on the water too. This had less to do with the water and more to do about being with Jesus. You see that? This wasn't about Peter. This was about Jesus. Jesus, I don't care where you are or how you're going to do it. If it's you, call to me and, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And if you want me to walk on the water, great. If you want me to do the backstroke, great, let me know. So Peter gets out of the boat. Verse 29, he says, come, Jesus. Or Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. It's all about Jesus and where he is. Is Jesus calling you out to some place where you go, Jesus, there's no way. I, me to you, that's the distance, the obstacles, the water. I don't know, but he got out of the boat. He got out of the safety part. Let's not miss it here. He's going to Jesus. That's what's important. What are you willing to do for Jesus when he calls to you? My guess is the other disciples are thinking, Peter, you hit your head on the side of the boat too hard. Right? Right? Peter, you're crazy. 
Jesus would never call you to some place that would cause you to risk your life. Really? Hmm. He got out of the boat anyway. Let me give you a couple phrases I think have inspired me to take bold steps of faith. And maybe you'll sense the spirit of God causing faith to rise up to a new level for you. The first phrase is, as if. As if. You see, bold is confidence in who God is and who I am in him and and who he is in me. I'm not bold because I'm brash, and I don't see that in Peter in this moment. I don't think he's being brash or brazen in, in this context. I think there's a confidence that if it's Jesus, Peter's gonna recognize that call. Look at the word that Jesus uses. Come. Think about some of Peter's first experiences with Jesus. Jesus calls to him and he says, come. There's a recognition of Jesus' voice, a familiarity that Peter recognized. Boldest confidence in who God is and who I am in him. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah writes in chapter 17 of Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Bold is having trust and confidence in God's character, not just his actions. You trust that God is still and always at work. Even if you can't see it, you trust his character, that God is for you and not against you, that he has your good and best intentions at heart. Sometimes we doubt that. Peter in this moment didn't. Psalm 57 says it this way. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. When we stand here and sing on a Sunday morning, can you sing with bold confidence even though the circumstances of life seem contrary to the very words you're singing? Because you have confidence in who God is, in his character, not just his actions. And you can sing anyway. I find it interesting that they say that your mind doesn't know the difference between what is real and what is imagined. Your mind cannot tell the difference. That's why fear has such power over us sometimes. Because we treat what's imagined as if it were real. Have you ever been just gripped and paralyzed by fear that only later you go, oh, that was silly? Why did I think that? Because your mind had conceived that what was imaginary was real. And then you acted in such a manner. But what if you acted contrary to that? What if you acted contrary to that. There's so much potential in the word, in in the phrase, as if. What if you acted as if you could do the very thing you're afraid of doing? What if you could walk by faith as if you had already been there before? There's so much potential in as if. 
especially when it is anchored in the truth, in the truth of who God is, in the truth of his promises in Scripture, in the truth of who you are in and through him, in the truth of what you can do by his power. Oftentimes I find that we reject God for who he isn't. We reject God for who he isn't. Eric Metaxas says it this way, that he rejected Everything he rejected about God was not God. You ever hear people say things like, well, I can't believe in a God who, and then they have some sort of negative construct of who they believe God is. And I often reply, I don't believe in that God either. Because that's not God, and I can reject it. Unfortunately, people reject all of God because they have these false constructs of who he is. Can you identify those false constructs in your mind? in your emotions. We can only do that by the power of the Scripture. The problem is we project our self-contempt onto God. Well, I can't, I can't believe in, in a God who's all, all forgiving because I can't forgive myself. I can't believe in a God who's full of grace because I, I have no grace over myself. And we project this onto God. We imagine God in the negative. Can I just reiterate? If God is for us, who can be against us? Sometimes it's the accusations of the if-only people in our lives. The if-only people have, have so many regrets and fears that they begin to hold us hostage. Perhaps that, it was that way in, in a sports team that you were part of or in a community that you lived in or maybe even your family. Hey, listen, you can't do that because no one in our family has ever done that. No one has ever graduated high school, graduated college. No one's ever gone on to do anything great. So why do you think you can? As if you think you're special. You ever experienced that? The regrets of others holding you back? They're dream killers. As if you could do that. I, I know the real you. <laughs> oh, you can pretend that you're not that, but I know better. As if you could achieve that. As if God would call you to that. To that. I know your past, Satan says. As if God could use someone like you. What makes you think you're better? Any of those ring familiar to you? But bold people hear it differently. They hear it differently. The soundtrack in their mind just plays a little bit differently. When they hear the negative, their mind flips it by faith to the positive. Sort of like this. Show that clip. We did it. Is that so terrible? Surrender. You mean wish to surrender to me? Very well, I accept. 
I give you full marks for bravery. Don't make yourself a fool. Ah, but how will you capture us? We know the secrets of the fire swamp. We can live there quite happily for some time, so whenever you feel like dying, feel free to visit. I tell you once again, surrender will not happen. For the last time, surrender! Death! First. Surrender. You wish to surrender to me? Very well then, I accept. Bold people just hear things differently because you're walking by faith instead of fear. So when people say, as if you could do that, they hear, as if I could do that? Yeah. It just plays differently. They hear it as if God is going to come through despite my failures, as if God could use me, as if God can go where God, I can go where God called me to do what he called me to do, as if he can use my availability greater than he can use my ability. They understand as if can be switched to say as if God can provide beyond my ability to understand it. And they begin to act as if. Can you act as if God is who he says he is and act as if you are who God says you are? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So act as if you are God's child. Act as if you can do the things Scripture says you can do. I've said it many times. Fake it till you make it. Act as if God will come through for you. Take the next unsure step. Crawl out of the boat and act as if God is calling you. He can get me from the boat to himself. No problem. That's bold. That's faith. It's not having it all figured out. It's just knowing... I. That's God's voice. That's the voice of Christ calling to me. And if it's him, he'll take care of it. So I'm going to act as if I have the faith to believe he'll do what he said he'll do. The second phrase, what if? What if? Bold is confidence in God's leading. Peter responded to it in this moment. This is what the writer of Proverbs 3 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Some say in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Lean not on your own understanding. If you're like me, you try to figure it all out ahead of time. Have clean Neat ways of getting from where you are to where you think God is leading. And very rarely has it worked out the way I think it will. I'm sure that's what the disciples said. Well, he told us to get in the boat, so we're just going to go from A to B, lickety split, done. He'll meet us on the other side. And that's not how it turned out. But I'm thankful for the moments that the hardships come my way. And in the moment, I'm trying to figure out, did God call me to do this? Is, did he leave me out here? Did I, did I miss it? Jesus comes walking out to me on the water and meets me there and says, this is exactly where you need to be. You can't experience walking on the water unless you're out in the middle of the lake. Bold is confidence in God's leading. And we have a negative tendency. Our what ifs are, what if I fail? 
what if I screw things up? What if it's not God's will? Then what? Then he'll be mad at me. I will have missed it. What? Our what-ifs are negative. Peter certainly experiences this. You continue the story in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Hmm. But when he saw the wind, you don't normally see wind, right? <laughs> you see the effects of the wind? But in this moment, he sees the wind. It was probably full of salty spray as it's whipping off the top of these high waves. And it got a little bit in his eye. Ugh, what was that? And instead of looking at Jesus, instead of just staring Jesus in the face, he suddenly takes his eyes off him. Oh, oh, I didn't think this through again. Peter, that's kind of how you operate. And he begins to run the what ifs through his mind very quickly. What, what, if, what, what if Jesus doesn't, what if the waves, what if the wind, what if I sink? What? All the what ifs cruise through his brain at 100 miles an hour. How many of your what, what ifs come through your brain when you take that first step of faith? What if I fail? What if Jesus called him out on the water to demonstrate his strength, his grace, and his salvation? What if it was that moment for, that Peter needed to confirm that his faith was rightly placed when he stepped out of the boat? That when he began to think, what if I, I don't have the strength to do this on my own? I'm not meant to walk on the water. No, Peter, you aren't. You are not a duck. But technically, ducks don't walk on water, but you get the point. Peter's faith was rightly placed when he stepped out of the boat. It was in that moment that he looked around and went, what, what if I fail? What if I drown? What if in daring greatly, you sink? Then you sink. But Jesus saved him. Peter throws up this Hail Mary as he's going under. Jesus, save me. Says immediately, Jesus stretches out his hand and grabs Peter. To me, he grabs him right here and he lifts him up. Right? I'd like to thank my friend Stanley for this wonderful shirt. Thank you, Stanley. Your brother made this in Ghana, didn't he? Fits me perfect. Anybody else have a custom shirt like this? Uh, just a commercial for so you can see him after church. He'll get you one. <laughs> Lord, save me. Peter, in this moment, knew his hope of swimming on his own was probably not going to work. Lord, save me. All the what ifs went right back out the window because he had no other place to turn. Immediately, Jesus catches him. And then, as they get in the boat, he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is that, is that kind of like a sucker punch, right? Pouring salt in the wound? 
I don't think so. I think sometimes we read it in the negative, but I, I think there's, there is a little bit of a, of a lashing there to encourage Peter. But I think he's recognizing in Peter the little faith, the scripture that says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you of little faith. There's a recognition that there was something there. Peter, you had that little bit of faith that you needed. Why did you doubt then? Why, why did you move from faith to fear? You should have stayed with the very little bit that you had. That's all you needed. It got you on the water. I think we need to turn our negative what-ifs into positive what-ifs. Be the eternal optimist, believing that God is what? For us and not against us. If Christ is the author and the perfecter of our faith, then he can give us that faith to believe him for the impossible. That in our weakness, indeed, his strength is revealed even greater. And we see that in this moment. The Lord of all creation invited Peter out onto the water to participate in his divine nature. That's why Peter, in in 2 Peter 1.3 can write this. Listen to the reality of what Peter is writing all these years later. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Huh. He was called by Jesus, by Jesus' own, his own glory and goodness, out onto that water. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter escaped the laws of nature when by the great and glorious promises of Christ, Christ calling him out, come. He fixes his eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith. He steps out on the water. He begins to walk on the water with Jesus. He has a dude look at me moment. What about you? What about me? What is God calling you to do? Maybe you don't know yet. That's okay. Get in the boat anyway. Push off from shore. When things get hard, instead of giving up and rowing back home, look for Jesus. Listen for his voice. Take the next imperfect, uncertain step. And make your what-ifs positive. What if God is for us and not against us? What if you can face all circumstances and suffering of life through Christ who gives you strength? What if my prayers for my prodigal child aren't answered today, but as I press through, may be answered in the years to come? What if I start giving in faith, the very first fruits of my income and my time and my talent and my, my earthly resources. What if I make a faith promise in missions? What if I start that new business? What if I take that new job? What if that's God calling me to give up all of my earthly comfort to step out to something that's really uncomfortable and might be difficult? What if I love people beyond my own ability and religious traditions? What if I go on a missions trip to El Salvador. Turn your what ifs into why nots. Why not? If God is for you, who can be against you? 
Can I give you three things on how to pray what if prayers? These are things that, that I do in my own prayer life. One, I pray the promises of God in scripture. I pray, I pray God's very words because God listens to himself. He does. God listens to himself and he's true to the promises that he's made. So I say things like, Lord, your word says you are for me and not against me. Lord, I, I believe that you're in this. Help, help me to understand if it's not. Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom. Keep my motivations pure. The second thing I do, pray in the spirit. This is beyond speaking in tongues, but might include that. It's speaking in the language of heaven. I'm being honest with God about my feelings. God, I'm mad right now, but I believe that you're in this. God, I'm so frustrated. It's praying in faith, not fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So when you pray prayers of fear, God doesn't recognize that spirit. You pray prayers of faith, God recognizes that spirit because he gave it to you. The final thing is pray until something happens. In youth ministry, we called it PUSH. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Be consistent. Well, Lord, I prayed that prayer once seven years ago. Faith isn't praying it once. Faith is praying it a hundred times, believing in God's character, not just his actions. Be consistent with your time, your place. Write it down and watch how God works. Oh, yeah, I remember praying that prayer. God answered that on this date, in this way. And the thing about praying until something happens, the very thing that happens may not be your circumstances changing. It may be you that changes. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.